Father, we just thank you for your presence this morning. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We pray that even now we would open up our hearts, that we would open up our minds to you, and that you would speak to us. And that we would not resist you in any way. That we would not find ourselves reasoning ourselves out of the message that we speak today but that Father we would open up our hearts to receive of you and to understand that you know what is best for us and to trust you enough to walk in your path and not the path that we have designed for ourselves Father there are many of us in this room that are on the brink of making some very serious decisions in our lives and they seem right and they feel right but they are disastrous may we wait upon the Lord may we be submitted to your spirit and choose a path that Lord at times may feel more difficult but in the end will bring us greater joy than we ever thought possible Speak to our hearts, I pray, this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. Give Him praise in His house. Amen. How many of you know God is a good God this morning? How many of you believe that His way is the best way today? And I pray that you keep your heart open to that throughout the message. Before you're seated, would you turn to somebody and tell them you love them? In Jesus' name. If you're just joining us this morning, we are right now in the middle of a series that we are going to be finishing next week, actually. And the name of this series is simply The Grind. And in this series, we have been talking about being faithful to the Lord in the daily grind, in the uneventful day-to-day living. And the reason that we're talking about this is because, obviously, more time is going to be spent in the daily grind than those that will be spent in the extraordinary, monumental, thrilling, exciting, supernatural, miraculous days with the Lord. We would all like, if every day of our walk with the Lord was supernatural and it was miraculous and it was like summer Bible camp and a weekend Christian retreat and, and it was like a missions trip. We would love if every day of our life with the Lord was so thrilling and so exciting, but we just realize that that isn't the reality. Most of our days are going to be spent married and parenting Working, devoted to obligations, fulfilling responsibilities, meeting deadlines, attending meetings, dealing with stress, living up to expectations, fostering relationships, building our relationship with our family, with our children, with our, with our parents. And what we must learn as believers is to be faithful to the Lord in the smallest of things, no matter how monotonous they may be, because it is in the smallest things that most people fail. 
You know, I have been walking with the Lord the better part of my life. I've been in the church all of my life. And I can tell you that most people do not fail in the miraculous high moments of life. It is in the daily grind, the monotony of life, that we all tend to stumble and to fall. I was reminded this week of what Solomon said in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 15 where he said that we're to be aware of the little foxes that spoil the vines. And I've always really thought about that because what he is saying, it is not the blatant big compromises in life that really upend men and women. It is a series of small compromises along life's journey that ultimately culminate in our fall, in our destruction. There is something about those little compromises at work, those little compromises in marriage, those little compromises in our family, the little compromises in our walk with God that over time will eventually spoil the vine, that will ruin our effectiveness and cause us to not bear fruit for the glory of Almighty God. So we as believers must need, we must spend time looking at our lives and monitoring our lives and paying attention to the smallest details of our walk with the Lord. Now please hear me today because I don't want this message and I don't want this series to be discouraging to you at any level. I don't want you walking out of here every Sunday morning saying, well, man, life is just meaningless and it's without any purpose. That is not the point of this message. Although sometimes life does feel that way. In fact, my daughter the other day was telling us of the week that she had and she looked at Kathy and I and Amanda just said, I hate being an adult. It is so annoying. And I said, you got a long life ahead of you, honey, and it's not going to get a whole lot better. You know, in no way am I suggesting that life is meaningless. In no way am I suggesting that life is without purpose. Because that's why we've come to Jesus in the first place. Because in Him we've found meaning. In Him we have found purpose for life. We know that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But how many of you know that Jesus came to give you life and to have that more abundantly? And to one degree or another, every day with Jesus is an adventure. Every day with Jesus is an event. Every day with Jesus is an opportunity to see Him move in miraculous and supernatural ways. So don't misunderstand this series. All that I am saying is that sometimes we grow weary in the details of life that grind away so slowly and so methodically that we begin to take these days for granted. We become careless, negligent, and distracted. And before we know it, we're beginning to make a series of decisions that we thought in the moment would bring us joy, would bring us fulfillment, would bring us contentment, but they have harmed us beyond our wildest imaginations. It's in these daily grind that we live in that we tend to just get lazy and lethargic and we begin to make decisions that we think will make our life so much more fulfilling and in the end, they destroy us. You know, we've been looking at this 
subject matter through the book of Hebrews and specifically Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason again that we have camped out in the book of Hebrews is because it is actually addressing Christians who are going through the daily grind only it was at a level none of us will probably ever experience. It was written to Jewish Christians who were being intensely and horrifically persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about being laughed at at work because they prayed for their lunch persecution. We're talking about real, life-threatening persecution that they were experiencing. And every day they woke up not knowing what they would face. Not knowing what would be taking place in their life. Not knowing who would be taken from them or what would be taken from them. They were under incredible persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ to the point where many of them were ready to depart from and abandon their faith in Christ completely and to return to Judaism just to get a little relief from all of the stress and the pain that they were currently experiencing in life. And I'm sure that it felt like the right decision considering what they were going through, but it was disastrous. I am not going to stand and throw stones at them today and say, I can't understand why they couldn't get their life in order because I've never been persecuted like that. And I can only pray that I would have the faith to stand in that hour. I don't know what it was like, but I am sure that under those circumstances, considering what they were going through, it felt like the only decision that they could make is to abandon Christ, return to Judaism, so that we can keep our family, so that we can keep our life. I'm sure that they found a way to justify it, but it was disastrous. And that's why all throughout the book of Hebrews, there are a series of warnings. In fact, there are five warnings that are there. And they're there to warn them to reconsider their ways and the path that they're currently on because it was going to turn out much worse for them than they could have possibly imagined. In fact, one of those was in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 26 where the author of Hebrews writes these words, for if we sin willfully, and maybe a better translation there would be, for if we continue to sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, if we continue to live in sin after we have come to know that Jesus died so that we could be set free from sin, he says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now understand, that does not mean that you cannot repent and get right with God at some point. That's not what he was saying there. What he was saying is, if you, after hearing the truth of Jesus Christ, that you don't have to live in sin any longer, and that in Him you can have forgiveness of sin and deliverance of sin, if after hearing that, you just reject it and you return to your sin willfully, You have, in effect, taken yourself out of the only plan of salvation that God has ever provided. He's saying, so you haven't actually improved your condition, you have worsened your condition, because now you find yourself outside of the only hope you have of being forgiven and set free from sin in your heart and your life. And all you now have to look forward to is a certain fearful expectation of judgment, 
and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries because now you have actually become an adversary of God having walked away from the grace of Jesus Christ. And so of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? Now please remember who he is talking to here. His audience is really twofold. First, there are Christians there thinking about walking away from their faith, but there also was among them those who were not yet Christians, but were hearing the message and were listening to the message, but at this time were rejecting the message. And so addressing both of them, he says to them, listen, all of you, having received the knowledge of the truth, if you willfully continue in your sin or you return to your sin by walking away from the Lord, there is no sacrifice for sin being made for you. And you will be lost because you have trampled under your feet the Son of God. You have counted the blood of His covenant a common thing and you have insulted the Spirit of grace. In essence, what He is saying is, listen, I know what you're going through. And I know the pain that you're experiencing. And I know that the stakes have never been higher for serving Christ. And I know it's agonizing. And I know your children are being taken from you. And I know your business are are, are being confiscated. And your possessions are being taken from you. I know what you're going through. And I know at this point that the only hope you think you've got is to abandon Christ and turn back to Judaism. But if you do that, you are turning your back on the only hope for salvation. And that is Jesus Christ. And so what may bring you temporary relief is going to take you on a path to eternal sorrow. Please reconsider the path that you are on. That's what he's saying. And you know, that really works in our lives as well. Because this morning I know, and when I say that, it's not because I know specifically, it's just that I know in general that in a crowd this size this morning, there are individuals that are experiencing this. I know that there are some of you right now that are in a difficult marriage. And I'm not talking about a marriage where there is habitual and ongoing unfaithfulness and adultery. And I'm not talking about a marriage where there is physical abuse or worse. That's another animal. That is another discussion. We're just talking about a difficult marriage where there is fighting, where there is conflict, where there is a lot of pain right now, where there's irreconcilable differences. And I know that it must be hard and it must be difficult and it's draining you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I know that right now, the only hope you think you have is to walk away and divorce them. I know that under the pressure and under the circumstances you're under, that may seem like your only option, but please hear me today. Consider it before you do it. Because when you step into divorce, you're stepping into a realm that God specifically says He hates. In the book of Malachi, it says God hates divorce. Come on, everybody. It doesn't matter what the world says. It's only what God says that we need to concern ourselves with. He hates it. 
And again, don't draw, you know, such a hard line on this that, you know, that you're, you're not hearing what I'm saying because again, there are circumstances under which we understand that it is acceptable, but most divorces come about as a result of we just can't get along and it would be better. Who told you that? Because God certainly did not tell you that divorce would be better. I know that there are probably some of you here today that are single and you hate being lonely. It's hard to come home to an empty home and, and have to live life on your own. But right now the only prospects that you have are an unsaved man or an unsaved lady. And as hard as that is for you, you're thinking, I'm going to just roll the dice because being with an unsaved man or woman is at least better than being alone. Think about that. I know it's hard and I know that that may seem like your only option, but it's not your only option. Hold on and do what's right in Jesus' name. And again, again, going back to marriage, I know that there's got to be someone in this room even today that you're unhappy in your marriage. And, you know, you, you get along all right and everything as well, but your needs aren't being met and, and he seems to be disinterested in you and she's just not really considering your needs anymore. And I know it's hard, but somewhere at work or somewhere at school, somewhere you've met someone that's been flirting with you and they're interested in you and you're interested in them. And you may be thinking, I missed it. I made a mistake. This is my soulmate. This is the one I need to be with. Please reconsider that. Because it may seem like your only option, but it will destroy your heart and your life. See, I know that under circumstances, there are these feelings that say, this is the way I need to be, but they can be more destructive than you could ever imagine. I love what it says in Proverbs 22 and verse 3. It says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The simple man, the simple woman is the man or the woman who makes their choices and their decisions based upon what feels right, what feels good, what seems right. That's a simple way of living. And if you press on in how you feel and what seems right, you will go on and suffer dearly for it. The prudent man, the Bible says, sees danger. And they hide themselves in the presence of Almighty God. I'm going to tell you, I would rather be sheltered in the arms of Jesus Christ through a storm than to take matters into my own hands and suffer greater loss than I could have ever imagined. A few years ago now, and I don't know how many of you remember this, I, I shared a message called Life is a Highway. And that entire message was centered around one thought that I heard years ago, and I have never forgotten it. In fact, I have it written in my Bible because I never want to lose sight of this thought. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination which just simply means that ultimately the destination that you arrive at will not have been determined by your intentions, but rather the direction that you took in life. No one ever intends to wreck their marriage. No one ever intends to wreck their family. 
No one ever intends to wreck their reputation. No one intends to get so addicted to alcohol and to drugs that they ruin the relationships that they have all around them. No one ever intends to go to hell for all of eternity. But unfortunately, the destination that we arrive at one day is not being formulated by our intentions, but rather by the direction we take in our lives. By the path you take. And that's why I can tell you that your direction, the journey that you are on, the path that you are on right now is everything. Because as good as your intentions may be, your life is not being formulated by your intentions, but by the direction you take, by the path you are walking on right now. And that's what I'm talking about today. I want to talk about choosing the right path. In this series, we have already discussed uh, traveling light. We've talked about the fact that life is difficult enough, it is challenging enough on its own, let alone making it more difficult by adding greater burdens to ourselves. And that there are just some things we need to lay aside. We need to lay aside the weight and we need to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. We need to lay aside the the tendency with all of us to look at other people and not keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. That we need to travel as light as we possibly can to be patient and endure whatever may come. Last week we talked about the fact that it would be much easier to go through the difficulties and the challenges of life if we understood why we were going through them in the first place. The reality is sometimes it feels like there is no rhyme nor reason to the challenges and the difficulties that we experience. And so if we knew that there was a plan there, if there was a purpose there, if there was something behind the struggles and the difficulties that we experienced, then it would make it at least a little easier to deal with them. And to that, the author of Hebrews comes along Alongside of us, and he says, I'll help you understand the difficulties and the trials and the obstacles of life. It is the discipline of the Lord. And sometimes that discipline is for correction when you're wrong, sometimes it's for conditioning when you're weak. But don't try to figure it all out. Just submit to the discipline of the Lord, be trained by it, because afterward it will bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. In Jesus' name. So now having discussed with them the need to travel light and having discussed with them the purpose behind the obstacles and the tragedies and the trials and the testings that we experience, now he says, let's discuss choosing a better path for life. Let's now talk about choosing a path that will actually lead you through this life successfully in Jesus' name. Some of you may not know that my wife and I are originally from Maine. And uh, all of our family still lives in Maine. And so now for the last 20 years living here, we have made that trip up to Maine once or twice a year. We always look forward to traveling up and visiting our family. And I can tell you that after all of these years going to Maine, there are many different ways to get there. Many different ways we could choose from, but there is one that is best. There is one way that is superior to all of the other ways. Now, all of the other ways could get me there. 
There's several different combinations that I can put together. There are many ways I could get there, but there's one that is superior to all the others. It's because it has the best roads, the best highways. It has the best exits and entrances off that highway. Because it goes through much more populated areas, there are more uh, opportunities to find help if there is trouble along the way. It is the best way, it is the fastest way, it is the most efficient way, and there is no doubt about that. Many other ways I could get there, but one is better than all the rest. Now, make sure that you hear what I'm going to say right now. There is only one way to Almighty God. Can you say amen to that? There's not many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There are not many paths that lead to God. Only one, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our personal Savior. So no matter what you hear me say as we move forward, please understand I am not teaching another doctrine. There's only one way to God. But as far as traveling through this life is concerned, there are many paths you can choose. And even as you look around this room today, we're not all on the same path. We're not all there because some of us have made some choices in the past that have put us on a little bit more of a difficult road. Some of us have made better choices and our road is a little bit easier. But it's not that there's many ways to God. There's just many ways to get through this life. But can I tell you, there is one way that is far better than all the others. There is one that is less complicated. There is one that actually provides healing even when you're being hurt. There is one way that is far better than any other. And what my prayer is today is that if you're not already on this path that before you leave here, you'll make a determination to abandon the path you're on and get on this one because this is the path that will be the path of blessing in your life in Jesus' mighty name. That's what I want to talk about with you today. This is a path that although it will not change what you're going through, it will change the way you go through it. There is no path that you can choose that will cause you to avoid difficulty and stress in life. That's just part of living here on this planet. But there is a path that will change the way you go through the daily grind. Have you ever noticed that there are some Christians that no matter what life throws at them, no matter what they go through, no matter what difficulties they experience in their life, they always seem to land on their feet. You ever seen those kind of Christians where it doesn't matter what life throws at them, they always land on their feet. They they always have joy in their heart. They always have peace within their mind. They're always calm, cool, and collected. And even when they go through those seasons of sorrow and mourning and grief because of what they're going through, they always remain faithful to God. And when you talk to them, they have a smile on their face and they say, you know what, God is good. He's going to see me through this. They don't miss a beat. They just keep moving for the glory of God. And yet there's other Christians, it doesn't matter what they go through, They always stumble, they always fall, they always trip, they never seem to get any momentum in their walk with God. Why is that? 
It has nothing to do with the load that you carry either. Because I've seen individuals who have lived with heartache the better part of their life. There's been health crisis, there's been pain, there's been sorrow, but they still have the joy of the Lord in their heart. They still have a peace of God that passes all understanding. And you talk to them and they just count it all joy for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. And yet there's others that they go through not even a fraction of that and they always stumble and fall. It has nothing to do with the load that you carry. It has everything to do with the path you're on. There are Christians that are on a path that promotes healing even when they're hurt. And there are other Christians that are on a path where they're constantly offended and constantly stumbling. And I want you to see that today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to begin at verse 12. And I I know that all of you are thinking, my goodness, that was just the introduction. We're going to be here forever today. Trust me, I wanted to get those images into your mind so that you would have them there. And this next part is really not going to take that long at all. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 12. He starts out and says, therefore, and remember, therefore is pointing back to what he's just previously stated about traveling light and understanding the discipline of the Lord. He says, therefore, in light of that, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I love that. Therefore, he's referring back to what he told them again about traveling light and understanding the discipline of the Lord for correction and for conditioning. And he's saying, in light of all of that, now that you understand it, I want you to stop feeling sorry for yourself. I want you to stop moaning about it. And I want you to get those hands up in the air. And I want you to strengthen those weak and wobbly knees and run this race. In Jesus' name. Wow, those are tough words. When you run long distances, your arms start getting tired, your knees get weak. And what he's saying is, get your second wind. It's time to press on and to get going in Jesus' mighty name. He's saying, I know that you're weary. I know you feel like giving up. I know that none of this makes any sense to you. But I've reminded you to travel lighter. I've reminded you that you're being disciplined. Some of you are being disciplined for correction. Some of you are being conditioned by the power of God so that you'd be stronger in the future. But whatever the case, it's time to get up, get over it, and move on in Jesus' name. Now, you know, listen, when I was studying that this week, I thought to myself, that sounds so insensitive. I mean, considering what they're going through, remember what they're experiencing. These men and women are being persecuted. But he comes to him and he says, listen, I've told you that you've been carrying too much of a burden. You need to lay it aside. I've told you what's happening. You're being conditioned by God. You're being corrected by God. There are no more excuses. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and start moving forward in Jesus' name. And I know it sounds so insensitive, but remember, although God allows a season of mourning and sorrow and grief for all of us, He eventually says, enough is enough. I love you. I can't leave you there. Get up. Get over it and move on. Oh, that's a weak amen. 
We don't want that. But God says, enough is enough. Come on. I know you want to give up. I know it hurts. But it's not going to get any better. Get up, get over it, and move on. In Jesus' name. Now listen to what he says next. Verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet. Listen. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint or become dislocated, but rather be healed. I love that. Because what he's saying to them is, the reason that your faith is failing is that you have chosen the wrong path. You've chosen a path that keeps adding the burden to your heart. Now that you understand these things, I want you to start making straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame and you feel is not going to carry you can actually be healed. Because if you continue on the path you're on, you're going to become dislocated and you will not be able to finish the race that is set before you. And that is what we're saying here today. Some of you are in a path that keeps dislocating you. And that's why you can't press on. You have to choose a better path in life. A path that heals even when you're hurt. I love that. I want to travel on a path that even while I'm hurting, I'm being healed by the power of God. And I know that some of you are thinking, is that possible? Absolutely. There is a God in heaven that can heal and restore you even when you're being hurt. In Jesus' name. I love how the Amplified breaks it down. It says, And cut through and make firm and plain and smooth straight paths for your feet. Yes, make them safe and upright and happy paths. How many of you want a happy path? Amen. That goes in the right direction so that the lame and halting limbs may not be put out of joint, but rather may be cured. He is telling them that their current path of unbelief, of lethargy, of complacency and neglect has nearly shipwrecked their faith and in the case of some already has. And then he says, as you move forward, you need to start making a straight path for your feet so that that which is lame is not now taken out of joint and dislocated, but rather is healed and cured in Jesus' name. Listen. Again, this is not a path that you can choose where life is easy and that there are no struggles and challenges because there's no path like that. But there is a path that actually provides healing while you're hurt. And that's the path I want you on. I want you, and more importantly, God wants you on a path that while you're hurting, that while you're broken, that you sense the healing power of the Lord. But what does that path look like? He breaks it down for us. We're going to go through them very quickly. Number one, it's a peaceful path. It's a peaceful path. Look at verse number 14. He says, strive for peace with who? With who? With who? Everyone would mean everyone. No exceptions. The path that heals is the path of peace. Now again, I want you to consider who he's talking to. Because this could be offensive to them as well. He's talking to men and women who have been persecuted. Who have been excommunicated from family and friends. Their business is confiscated. Their possessions taken from them. Their children 
ripped from them. They're taken from their children. They are being publicly humiliated, abused, and tortured, and in extreme cases, they're even being martyred for their faith. And he looks at them and says, the path that promotes healing is a peaceful path. Therefore, I need you to make peace with even those who are persecuting you. The only path that heals is the, heal, is the path of peace where you seek for peace with everyone, even those who abuse you. I love the word strive there. He says strive for peace. One translation says work for peace. Another one says make peace. Another one says pursue peace. But whatever word you use there, it is telling us one thing. Peace doesn't just happen. The natural tendency of man is to have confrontation is to have conflict. Peace doesn't just happen. So if you're an individual here today that just always walks around saying, I just am hoping for a peaceful resolution in this, you're going to be sadly disappointed because peace doesn't just happen. You have to work for peace. You have to pursue peace. You have to strive for peace. You have to make peace in every situation. You can't just sit and pray for peace. You got to get your hands dirty and say, what do I have to do to make peace with you? Wow. We need peace in our relationship with God by living a submitted life to Him. We need to pursue peace in our marriages some of you have dug in your heels in your marriage and you said until he changes I'm not going to change until she changes I'm not going to change shame on you how dare you call yourself a child of God make peace in your marriage do whatever it takes to establish peace in your home we need peace with our relationship with our children, with our relationship with our parents. We have to do whatever we can to make peace there, to make peace at work, to make peace in our families, to do whatever it takes to be peacemakers. Be a peacemaker and demonstrate your adoption into the family of Almighty God. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, one of the greatest evidences of your adoption into the family of God is your ability to make peace with everyone. It's time for us to realize that being a Christian is more than coming to an altar and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. It's about a total transformation of my life. And now, it is not about conflict. It is about doing whatever I have to do to make peace. Romans 12 and verse 18, Paul says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I love that verse. If it's possible. Because even Paul recognized peace isn't always available. It's not always an option. Because there are some people that you have conflict with that they don't want peace. They like war. They like agony and they want all of that confrontation and that conflict. They like that. And so it's not always possible. But if it's possible, as much as depends on you, God says, I'm only holding you accountable for what you can do. Do whatever you can to diffuse the situation and to bring peace. And do it without ceasing. It's a peaceful 
So if you want a path of healing, you've got to be a peacemaker in Jesus' name. Number two, it's a separated path. It's a separated path. He goes on in that same verse and says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The word holiness there is a word that is often misunderstood. Because holiness should never be understood as what you do, as much as it should be understood as who you are. You don't do holy works. You are holy. You do what is right because you are holy. The word holy literally means separation. To be holy is to be separated. Separated from what? Separated from the world. Separated from their values. Separated from their ethics. Separated from their morals. Separated from their pursuits and their priorities. That your priority is the kingdom of Almighty God. That you have set yourself apart from the world and now your character is that of Christ. That's what it means to be holy. And that you do what is right because you have set yourself apart from the rest of this world. Listen folks, we march to the beat of a different drum. We are out of step with this world. And that's why the world looks at us and says, why do, you, why do you talk like that? And why do you forgive them like that? And why do you go to church? Because they are marching to an entirely different rhythm. But we are marching to the beat of the drum of the kingdom of Almighty God in Jesus' name. The world being persecuted like this would say, get revenge, get even. The first chance you get to make this, make them pay for what they've done, you take it. You take advantage of them. But we do not march to the beat of this drum. We are citizens of the kingdom of Almighty God. And our king on the cross looked down at those who were persecuting him and said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. And then only a few months later, one of his disciples, a man named Stephen, was being stoned for his faith in Christ. And as those rocks came crashing down upon him, among his last words were, Father, do not lay this to them. Don't charge them with this sin. He was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're different, folks. And this is what grieves my heart, is that somehow it is acceptable in the church to be like the world and still call yourself a Christian. I heard a pastor even this morning that I love listening to, but I couldn't have been in, in any more disagreement because his statement was, there are Christians who you can barely tell the difference between them and the world. Folks, I will never give you that here. Because if you cannot discern you from the world, you're in the world, you're not of Christ. We're different. Come on, we're different people. The path that promotes healing is a path of integrity of character, of honor. It is a path of commitment to values and ethics and morals that are of the kingdom of Almighty God. And that's why he says here that without this separation, no man will see the Lord. You know what's interesting is that 
when he said that, he was not necessarily thinking about the future. That without holiness, you will not see the Lord in the future, in the resurrection. Although that's implied, that's not what he's really saying there. He's saying, no, if you don't have holiness, you won't even see the Lord right now. You will not be able to discern the hand of God with you in every storm and every crisis. You will not be able to see that God is working it all together for good because you love Him and are called according to His purpose. There is nothing worse than going through a storm and not being able to sense the presence of God in your life. And that's what He's saying here. If you want God's presence with you in the storm, you've got to be a separated people. Number three... It's a diligent path. It's a diligent path. In Hebrews 12 and verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. One translation would say it, See to it that no one falls from the grace of God. But the idea there is see to it. It's a diligent path. This is not a path for the careless or the carefree. This is not a path for the negligent and the neglectful. If you are a person who has accepted Christ because you don't want to go to hell, and that's all it is to you, then this message is not for you. But if you accepted Christ because you want a relationship with God, because you truly love Him, and you take your walk with God very seriously on a day-to-day basis, this message is for you. Because it's a diligent path. It's a path for watchfulness, for diligence, for vigilance. It's for men and women who say... There is nothing in this world that is more important to me than my walk with God. And from the moment I wake up to the moment I lay my head back on the pillow, I am constantly monitoring my walk with Jesus Christ. In the original language, see to it meant oversight or supervision. It was stewarding, or it was even superintending. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that we must always be overseeing, supervising, superintending, stewarding our path with God, monitoring it at all times, lest at any moment we begin to fall away from the grace of God. Another one of those five warnings is found in Hebrews chapter 3. In verse number 12 where he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, of all of the words there that gripped my heart, the words that really touched me were those words, Lest there be in any of you lest there be in any of you. And he's talking to Christians. In our text, he said that we're to see to it that no one fails. It's clear that what he's saying is that all of us need to be aware because all of this can happen to every one of us. That no matter how passionate you are for God right now, you can never rest in that, but instead you need to beware because any of us if we're not careful, are susceptible from falling away or to falling away from the Lord. 
What I have discovered through my life is that it only takes one day for the heart of man to begin to harden through the deceitfulness of sin and start down the road of falling away from the Lord. Only one day. Sin is so deceitful in that it feels so good and it satisfies so quickly. Sin is so enticing that literally I can get involved in it and think, well, that really wasn't that big of a deal. And before I know it, my heart has already started to harden. And if I continue in that sin and I never address it, eventually I will start down the road of departing from the Lord God Almighty. Folks, we've got to be alive in this hour. We've got to watch. We've got to monitor. Because many of us are so much into the world that we're drowning in the spirit of the world today. We need to come out from this world. Be separate unto Almighty God. Be the children of God. In Jesus' name. In Luke 21 and verse 34, he says, But watch yourselves. This is Jesus speaking. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Fourth, it is a forgiving path. It is a forgiving path. Verse 15, he says, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Did you catch that? He says, this root of bitterness springing up not only causes trouble in your life, but by it many become defiled. It's a forgiving path. The only path that heals is the path of forgiveness. Knowing what these Christians had to endure, the author of Hebrews cautions them to not allow the pain they're experiencing to eventually turn into unforgiveness that in turn becomes a root of bitterness coming up, not only defiles them, but defiles others around them as well. Very few things in this life have the destructive properties of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is in a class all unto itself. And the only path that truly heals is the path of forgiveness, of being able to look your enemy in the eye and know in your heart you have forgiven them for all they've done. Unforgiveness that is allowed to fester in our life and then eventually give birth to bitterness will vex and torment your soul more than you could ever possibly imagine. In fact, the thought that came to me the other day is that the unforgiveness that you have in your heart for people that have hurt you in the past is doing more damage to you today than what anybody has ever done to you in your past. The damage that you are afflicting on your heart and your mind by your unforgiveness is more than what anyone could ever do to you in a lifetime. And some of you, the reason that you stumble and fall is because you cannot find in your heart the ability to forgive that person for what they've done. But for a child of God, forgiveness is the order. 
In Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We are to forgive even as God through Christ forgave us. How did God in Christ forgive us? Totally and completely. And when God forgives you, guess what? He never brings that up again. When you forgive someone, you relinquish the right to bring it up again. And if you want a path that heals while you're hurt, you have to be willing to forgive those who actually hurt you. And then finally, it's a path of restraint. It is a path of restraint. Or you could even say it is a path of self-control. Verse 16, he says, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, even though he calls out sexual immorality specifically, in general, he is actually speaking here to those who lay aside the rewards that await those who remain faithful to the Lord in the trials and testings of life and seek to gratify and to satisfy themselves right now. What he is talking about in general here is that men and women who live for themselves who satisfy themselves, who gratify themselves, will destroy their life. That the path that heals is the path of self-restraint, of self-control, where you say, I would rather die than to indulge myself. And again, remember these Christians were being tested to see if they would trade in their faith for the sake of their persecution being eased or if they would endure even to death for the sake of Christ. And isn't that really the question that is before all of us this morning? Will we sell out the treasures that are laid up in heaven for those who remain faithful to God for temporary pleasure or will we endure to the end even if it costs us our very life. What do you treasure more? What do you value more? The inheritance that awaits you in heaven or temporal pleasures right now? And the illustration that he provides for us is that of Esau. And I don't have time to go through this story, but most of you know that Esau absolutely relinquished his right to the family estate by selling it to his younger brother for a single solitary bowl of soup. Now we laugh at that because you're thinking, wait a minute, he traded in his inheritance for a bowl of soup? If he had just waited for a little while, if he had just paused, if he had stopped and thought about it, he would have had all the money to buy all the soup for the rest of his life. But before you laugh... I've seen men and women cash in the glories of heaven for a lot less. We are the children of God, which means we are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means that all that the Father has, we get to enjoy. And we have all of eternity to enjoy it. But such is the passion of man that we would rather sell it out for some temporary pleasure right now. 
I'm going to tell you, you'll never have peace in your life so long as you indulge every desire you have. At some point, you've got to say, I would rather die than to satisfy myself. I want to live for Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to learn to wait. We have to learn to pause and remember there is so much more at stake than I am aware of right now. I'm only looking at the 10% of the iceberg that's above the surface. And I think I've got to have it and I think I've got to do it and I think I can't make it another day. But I fail to look at 90% that is below the surface and I plow ahead and I shipwreck my life. No! Turn from it and live for God no matter what the cost may be in Jesus' name. Listen to these sobering words. Verse 17. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit that blessing he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears now please don't misunderstand that in no way is that suggesting that he could not repent of his sin and be reconciled to God in fact I believe if you read the story in the book of Genesis there's every reason to believe that he did repent and was reconciled to God it specifically is talking about his desire to inherit that birthright again you know you wish he had thought about that before he did it but he didn't As soon as he finishes the last bite, he probably said, What have I done? But even though he desired it, and though he sought with tears to have that changed, there was no place for it to be rendered to him again. He was rejected. Because some decisions have consequences that are irreversible. You know, too often we as Christians, we make our decisions about what we're going to do only on whether it's right or wrong. If it's sin or if it's sacred. And I said to you a couple of weeks ago, no, sometimes we've got to be asking, is it beneficial or is it not beneficial? But every once in a while you need to ask your question this way. Can I recover from this? Because I'm going to tell you that there are decisions that you and I can make in our lives that have lifelong consequences. We have said this before. God's forgiveness does not extend to consequences. Can you be forgiven of your sin? Absolutely. Can you be restored to God? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that the consequences are removed. And there are some decisions that have consequences you have to live with the rest of your days. And there are men and women in this room that would love to share with you their testimony. Because they would say, you know what? In the heat of the moment, in that time when things looked so bad, I made a decision that felt so right, that looked so good, but it has cost me a lot of joy all of my days. 
God's forgiven me. I'm restored. I'm going to heaven. I'm thankful. But there is daily a regret within my heart. I look at David, folks. David, for the sake of having one night with Bathsheba, upended the rest of his life. He lost his son. He temporarily lost his his kingdom. He lost his family in one way or another. He was disgraced. He went to the grave a very broken man. Was he saved? Absolutely. Was he forgiven? Without a doubt. Was he restored to fellowship with God? Absolutely. We know it. It's not that. But he ended with great pain because again, it's not intention that determines your destination. It's the direction you take in your life. From this day forward, choose a better path. We can't do anything about what happened before you walked into this sanctuary today. But I'm thankful that with this sunrise came a brand new day. And today, you can start a better path. A path that heals even while you're hurt. In Jesus' name. I'd like to have every head back, every eye closed. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Can you just wait on the Lord for a moment? Just think about where you're at right now. Ask God to show you where you're going. Bless the Lord. Precious Father in heaven, I just ask that you would forgive us for taking life so for granted, for the negligence that all too often we we demonstrate towards our walk with you. Father, we're we're not in any way, shape, or form condemning people. Because we're thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we don't beat anybody up over their past. But many of us in this room, we look back and say, whoa, if I had to do it all over again, I would have chosen a better path. And though we cannot go back,